Hey, it's Jose Galison, and you're watching No Way Jose. Uh, this is on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. It's also on every major podcatcher and Odyssey as well. Today, my guest is Caleb Brown. Uh, as always, let's give you a rundown of the template of how this works. Right now, if you're watching this on the 6th, uh, yes, good old January 6th, uh, this is a live stream that's up publicly on YouTube, and uh, it also streams to Twitter as well. Um, but it, what will happen is immediately after, I will put it in uh, like unlisted, private, whatever, and then it will only be available for my patrons until I release it uh, on my channel later as a numbered episode. So if you want to have access to those in the meantime, uh, you need to become a patron. Uh, also, there's a number of different perks that I give to patrons, uh, namely uh, that you get the, the highest level being the $20 level, which is the sponsor level, uh, which uh, basically I read off, read off my sponsors. And for that, I have C.D. McRae of the Whiskey and Tea podcast. You should definitely go check her out. She's one smart cookie. Uh, and then we have a, at SpaceCat2K, uh, who I just had on recently uh, for the agorism versus session episode, or versus in quotations, kind of because it wasn't really a versus, at least that's not how I see it. Um, and that was for the, he came on because the $10 perk is I allow you to curate an episode. And, and for that, he had that episode idea, and I was like, well, I'll bring you on and we'll talk about it. Um, so right now, the topic for today is me and Caleb are continuing the uh, live reading of the agorist primer. Uh, we should be knocking out chapter three and maybe chapter four today. We'll see how far we get. Uh, I mean, maybe even chapter five if we really knock them out quick. We'll see. Um, I do want to remind you guys, I don't really have any big announcements for like Tower Gang uh, homies, but we did just have the Dave Smith episode. Uh, so if you're watching this, uh, you should go check that out. That was good. We also did the Dickie episode, uh, which is like a year in review. That one was fun as well. You should check those both out. They were really great. Uh, I think we might have on next week, might have the Biting the Bullet guys on. We'll see. Uh, we haven't completely uh, – we kind of ride by the seat of our pants and week to week with that show. So just kind of whatever falls in our lap. And uh, that looks like what might be going with it for that. Uh, go – as always, go check out Top Lobster. Uh, use Jose at checkout for 10% off. This is at toplobster.com. Uh, you know, he's basically – we're business partners now, us like and all the Tower Gang homies. If you go to his site, you'll see at the top you even there's a the good little hyperlink to go right to my stuff. Uh, you know, you buy it, buy a No Way Jose product from there. I get a kickback as well. Top Lobster get kickback. Uh, and yeah, you were building up, uh, building us all up. Um, with that, let's go ahead and bring on Caleb. What's up, man? Not much, man. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess real quick. How was your, uh, how were your holidays? Are they any good? They were good. I, I went to uh, Chicago for a few days. So that was fun. Yeah. Uh, normally I do like an intro right here, but I've had you on multiple times, uh, which I normally do an intro even if I've had it, a recurring guest, just because I, I, mean, I get I, mean, I have a smaller channel, so you know, new, new listeners. But, you know, uh, this is a series, so I feel like if you're watching this one, you've probably watched the other ones, so it'd be a little bit weird to do an intro every time. So we'll just jump right into it. Quick question uh, I, before we oh, get started, ahead. though. Your calendar to, to your uh, left, is that Naruto or Boruto? Uh, Naruto. I'm currently working through that with my daughter. I watched it a little nice. bit when I was a kid, uh, and but I, like only bits and pieces. Um, but now, uh, you know, I'm watching it with my youngest, and uh, we're to the point where he's they're dealing with the Akatsuki. We're we're pretty still pretty early on, so yeah. we're in the second series. It's like Naruto, and it was like Naruto Shippuden, I think. Yeah, and we're we're on Shippuden now, so they're fighting nice. the Akatsuki. We just saw the uh, reveal of the foretale. Oh, don't spoil uh, too much. I'm. I mean, where I'm at, Sasuke just left the village, so I'm like still early on. Oh shit! Like with yeah. Orochimaru, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's not that much of a spoiler. I've just gotten to the point where you saw the four tail, the fourth tail came out because you know he has the nine tail inside of him or whatever. So, you know, basically every tail comes out and it's fucking wild. Uh, But, um, you know, so uh, I'm definitely good. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to where that goes. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I probably wouldn't watch it on my own, but it's something cool to watch my daughter. Um, You know, but then again, I don't really watch TV on my own really at all. It's just something to do with my kid. Uh, But yeah, let's, uh, I guess, just go ahead and get into it. We'll whip out this book and we'll get to it. Sounds good. Oh, so let's drop my, my vapey vape. Um, all right. We're on chapter three, and the chapter is counter economics. Uh, and feel free to stop me at any point if you have something to say, and uh, vice versa, I'll do the same. Um, I'll probably have – I'll read this chapter, and I'll probably have you read the next. We see that nearly every action is regulated, taxed, prohibited, or subsidized. Much of this statism, for it is only the state that wields such power, is so contradictory that little ever gets done. If you cannot obey the state's laws and charge less than, more than, or the same as your competitor, what do you do? You go out of business or you break the law. Suppose paying your taxes would drive you out of business. You go out of business or you break the law. So, I mean, we're already kind of getting into what agorism is. It's the philosophy around uh, breaking the law. Um, Government laws have no intrinsic relationship with right and wrong or good and evil. Historically, most people knew that the royal edicts were for the king's good, not theirs. People went along with the king because the alternative looked worse. This line of thinking leads to chapter 5, so we'll just note here that even today, society recognizes the conscientious objector, the religious dissenter to laws that his deity forbids him to obey, the man or woman who follows the law of God or nature against the monopoly of force in society. Since they would rather die than submit, a society which restrains its government from heavy repression will exempt many objectors. But everyone is a resistor to the extent that he survives in a society where laws control everything and give contradictory orders. All non-coercive human action committed in defiance of the state constitutes the counter-economy. So this is, I will kind of like struggle defining what counter-economics is. It's kind of really just, you know, human action in general, especially in defiance of state, which he even kind of laid out here. And I think earlier chapters as well as like, we're kind of put in a position where it's funny. I'm actually reading uh, the John Hasness chapter of Anarchist handbook right now. And that's the theme of that is like the contradictory nature of the law and how like uh, any lawyer can, you can, you literally just need, can start with a conclusion and just create an argument to get there. And you can be right. You can have two people with contradictory uh, conclusions and both be right. Just have to find a, a, a case or, or an argument to support it. Yeah. And with the law, there's always that. That that and, was my favorite chapter in the Anarchist yeah. handbook. It was, um, I, have a, I have a friend who's going to law school and I argued with him recently. I was like, your job, whether you like could be a defense attorney or a regular uh, like prosecutor attorney, is not to determine truth. It's to win the cases, right? He goes, yeah. I'm like, do you not see any problem with that? <laughs> like... Truth doesn't matter. You're just trying to win a case here, regardless of what actually happened. You do not see any, no qualms with that at all. He's like, no. I'm like, okay, I guess that's why lawyers mm-hmm. are soulless. I mean, I guess it works. I mean, to be fair, when you're dealing with a defense or the like, uh, or the, I mean, I guess that, uh, yeah, you would say you'd want to like actually take good cases, but you know, I, I don't know. To be, to be fair, I guess there is the idea of that someone, you need someone to have your defense. You need someone yeah. to have your, um, I, I, I know you need to. I'm saying that, yeah. The prosecutor's job is to prove guilt. Not mm-hmm. prove truce, and the same with the other way. So, if like we're not, it's like the investigation doesn't even prove truth, it's to prove guilt or innocence, and it's like that's yeah. a determine on the facts, not on how what the argument is. Yeah, I mean, I you would think, I, I would think ideally a good lawyer wouldn't take a case unless they felt uh 
compelled to do so or if they actually yeah. felt like they had a good argument because you can have people who have two sides of it and but now if someone comes to me and says i killed this person i'd be like whoa uh okay well you know get a different yeah. lawyer <laughs> like, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I wonder how many lawyers actually like I know, like, a lot of lawyers say on TV, so they don't ask that question. But in reality, I wonder how many lawyers go, hey, between you and me, does he do it? Like, yeah. I wonder how often that happens, you know? I mean, to be fair, if you're a lawyer, I mean, it kind of would help for your defense to have a clear idea and make sure you're not going to get things sprung on you later. Be like, you need yeah. to tell me everything. But I understand. <laughs> He's like, I did that shit. <laughs> but, but anyways, to tie into the Hasses thing, it's the same idea here. It's kind of the same concept of, in he like, I'm pretty sure in the last chapter, he they broke down, like, how like with uh, certain laws, like say you have a company and you charge too much, you broke this law. If you charge too little, you break this law because you're like if you charge too much, you're price price gouging. If you charge too little, you're uh, you're uh, you're undercutting your uh, competitors or or yeah. whatever. And there's some law that gets it's the same idea. And so like basically, I mean to some extent, agorism, but I guess more just like you know realizing that and working with that and. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the concept getting it here. Where he, so he says, all non-courts of human action committed in defiance of state constitute the counter-economy. Which, like, the point I was kind of getting at there is, well, that's kind of, to some extent, just all human action in general. But the defiance of state thing, I guess, is the kind of point where it's like, I'm not going to really get caught up in this whether I'm breaking the law thing. I'm going to get caught up in, am I going to get in trouble? Uh, and if I get in trouble, how bad is this going to hurt? Mm -hmm. And is it right or is it wrong? Or do I have profit to make? Do I not? Like, yeah. it's it's not so much whether it's illegal or not, you know? So yeah. have, have you ever read um, The Vampire Economy by – um? Oh, I can't remember I can't remember the guy's name, but the book's on Mises U. I mean, yeah, uh, Gunter Weinman. Never read it? No, did you? Maybe you said this to me before because that sounds familiar. Maybe with somebody else, that sounds familiar, but I've never read oh, it. No, it's um, I'm, I'm reading it now, it's pretty interesting. It's basically he was like, he is it's an economic analysis of Nazi Germany. Um, and he kind of goes through like doing business in the fastest government, how to operate some stuff. And he has a little bit on like black markets and how does how they you can't get rid of them, you know, the market will always provide, your goal will provide. And it's um it's interesting to kind of read that and go oh we'll get into that you know and so it's yeah. like how much like, I wonder when this COVID was happening I wonder how much increase was and in, I mean we know pirating went up like people were pirating more stuff would I, would you consider piracy like black market like I I, I mean I guess black gray I mean really uh, I mean the whole black and gray like distinctions a little bit. I know. I guess the black is more just like it's straight up is illegal, but even gray yeah. stuff is illegal. But it's it's like this weird area. Like, let's say for example, I I sold I, I bred and sold cats. Say for example, I'm not saying I did that. But let's say <laughs> yeah, I did that. And then I sold them. Uh, you know, let's say I reported some of that income to the IRS, but some of it I didn't. Uh, you know, that's kind of gray. Uh, it's like, and it's also like, you know, most likely no one's really ever going to fuck with me. I mean, depending as long as I'm not making lump sum deposits into my bank account, they get flagged. So it's yeah. kind of this grayish area. It's, it's like, it's sort of legal, but it's sort of not, but at the same time it is kind of sort of straight up illegal. So I, I don't know. Uh, but it, it gets more wishy-washy. Um, Did you see, um, what was it? They're making like any transaction over, what is it? $600 now, I think is that you have to like alert the bank or something to it. 
Yeah, like they keep think... lowering that metric, so it's like easy and easier to try to. Yeah, it's these. like Venmo, PayPal, stuff like that. You know, it is a big pain in the ass. I mean, I definitely let's say for example, I, that that uh, that thing I just said applied to me. That is a pain in the ass, but you know that's where you know you create incentives to work around it. You know, like say, yeah. hey, we'll give you a discount if you go if you do cash or or whatever. You know, like stuff like yeah, that. Hypothetical incentives. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there there are there are other ways around, but definitely that is a big old pain in the ass because it is like you know like. You can't really take that cash and then deposit it all into your bank account because then it'll flag, and then you can't use it to pay your mortgage. So it's like oh, you gotta you gotta figure ways around it. But all right, for ease of layer analysis, we exclude murder and theft, which are done with the disapproval of the state. Since uh, and to go and I don't know if we went into this earlier in this, but that's that would be red market stuff that we as libertarians would consider to be immoral and wrong, yeah. and in a true free society they would be illegal. Um, you know, like things that break the NAP. That is the red market. And, and you know, yeah. Konkin at no point is ever pushing for the red market. Um, so those things are straight up wrong. He's pushing for gray and black, which are things that hurt no one. And that could be stuff straight up like selling crack. Or that could be as simple as, you know, selling apples on the side of the road. Um, you know, so. Are they, um, I don't really want an agorist circus. Are they like a lot of, like, they're a pacifist agorist? Or like, do they, is it like a subsection of those? Or is it kind of just a... Uh... Like a weird occurrence every once in a while. I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard of that. I mean, I'm sure maybe they could have a separate thing, like a kind of like a Bob Murphy type pacifist. Is there? Yeah, that kind of. Like I don't. I mean, I, it's interesting. I haven't noticed it, but it's not like we really do like meetups. So yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> everyone's kind of giving me shit because we were talking about the the LP Florida convention today and uh, how yeah. I'm going to go to it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, I'm just going to hang out with my buddies and drink beer. Like I'm not. Yeah. It's not like I'm, I'm voting. Like I'm I not. even said the other day, I wish we could abolish the LP and just uh, 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 convert it to uh, convert it to the Mises Institute, and then just like make every one of them chapters and keep conventions. Because it'd be the same thing. It's just instead you're you're doing basically the Mises Institute is doing, and you're you're not doing the silly other stuff. And you know, because yeah. I mean, the community aspect is great. Uh, I, yeah. I, I like that about the LP and stuff. So, but because it's know. in Florida and everyone's going to be going, I might go. But yeah, you know, I'm like I'm a sober paleo guy, so I'm not gonna. I might like yeah. jokes, but about it. Yeah, like I'm not going to be part of any of the their silly little voting or whatever, you know. But you know, they can have fun with that, and I'll hang out with them after. And I won't even be mean to them about it. I probably won't even bring it up. Maybe, although I did. Uh, I think the last one I spent like probably you know half hour to an hour, you know, talking with Heiss about about that, and we had a good little discussion. And like mm-hmm. whatever, who cares? But um, but anyways, um. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, since taxation and war encompass nearly all cases of theft and murder, um, the few independent acts really should be classified as other forms of statism. Which th- I mean, that's I don't know. I guess you, he's kind of saying, I guess even the red market is, is a form of statism in its own way. I guess sort of. Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily entirely agree with that, but kind of. I, I don't know. I mean, sort of. It, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, since anything the state does not license or approve of is forbidden or prohibited, there are no third possibilities. A counter-economist is, one, anyone practicing a counter-economic act, two, one who studies such acts, and then it says counter-economics is the one practice and two, study of counter-economic acts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go into size of the counter-economy. I don't know if you have anything to add there, and we can move into the no. next portion of the chapter. All right. The size of the counter economy. The counter economy is vast. Our brief study of counter or of economics tells us that this should be no surprise. The more controls and taxation a state imposes on its people, the more they will evade and defy them, which, uh, you know, that is the one beautiful thing about COVID is I feel like 
And part of why, you know, I, you know, when I got into agorism and stuff, cause like before this, like I was your, bef- like, cause I, I got into agorism and like reading Konkin around the time of this stuff mm. uh, of like the lockdowns and stuff. That's when I read it. And I think before, even as a libertarian, like I knew that the state was immoral and that they had no, you know, proper uh, right or, you know, claim on, you know, the laws or whatever, but I still would be like, I'm not gonna break the law. Like, it, you know, I'm just like, but I, I don't know why it's this weird mind block we have or whatever, mm-hmm. but then like something about COVID even broke it of a lot of us of like, well, why do I, why do I think this way? Like, yeah. why? It doesn't make sense. And it, especially when we're being put in a situation where it's like, say with like masks or, or whatever, you know, any of the craziness we've had to deal with in the past couple of years, you're kind of, even normal people are to the point where they're like, yeah, no, fuck this. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, this, is, um, this is one of the points, uh, Frederick Bossia makes in the law is that the, um, Easiest way to make the law respectable is to make the, respect the laws, make the law respectable. And when the law is no longer respectable, it sits on a difficult place having to choose between respecting the law and being a good person. Yeah. And it's like this, this COVID stuff has kind of really pushed that to the edge where people are just like, I, right, I can't be a person anymore under these COVID laws. So if I, if you're going to dehumanize me, I might as well just go be a person outside the law. Which is, I think, a great plus, but. Mm-hmm. Since the United States is one of the less uh, controlled countries, which, I mean, you know, Konkin wrote this, I think, in like the 90s or something. So, uh, you know, bear that in mind. <laughs> he wasn't writing in a modern context. Yeah. Um, but again, even then, I guess that kind of does sort of even still apply today, you know, compar- comparatively speaking. But, you know, uh, and the counter economy here is fairly large. The global counter economy should be expected to be even larger. And it is. Which is a fair point. I guarantee you, if you go to third world countries, they probably have just as many crazy laws as we do. Mm-hmm. And most people don't even give a shit about them. And like, yeah. and I'm sure if they get busted by the state, it probably is. It's not that they're doing it to be like, you know, uh, it's not because they're doing any of any sort of libertarian theory. They're just kind of, they just see the state as the piece of shit that it is and kind of just like, well, I got fucking money to make and I'm not playing your game. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. U.S. government estimates the size of just the tax-dodging part of the counter-economy is 20 to 40 million of the population. The Western European counter-economy is larger. In Italy, much of the civil service sits in government offices during the early part of the day and then moonlights at private jobs and businesses in the afternoon and evening. Communism collapsed in no small part due to the counter-economy. Nearly everything was available in the counter-economy, uh, with only shoddy goods and shortages in the official socialist economy. I do want to point out, because that's one thing people always bring up, is that uh, a lot of agorists and they accuse Konkin, which maybe he says in other places, because I've only read both of these once. Mm-hmm. I'll give him the give uh, agorism and Konkin shit about overstating the claims about counter-economy killing uh, communism. Yeah, But I will say right here, I mean, maybe he states it differently other places. He put in no small part. So I, I mean I don't know how you interpret that, but I kind of interpret that as not like a this is why communism is gone. Like yeah. it's like this is one of the reasons. You know, I I, I took it as um, not why the Soviet Union collapsed, but why communism was disproven. Because like even when you had communism, it wasn't working because of the counter economy. So yeah. I, I look at more as like the debunking the ideology rather than the actual institution. Yeah. All right. The Soviets called counter economics left or economic goods left hand or nalovo. I don't know what the hell that means. And entire manufacturing assembly lines coexisted nalovo with the desultory state industry ones. 
on the same factory floor. Counter-economic capitalists sold shares in their companies and vacationed in Black Sea resorts. Managers of collective, collective farms who needed a tractor replaced in a hurry looked to the counter-economy rather than see their coal cause collapse awaiting a state tractor delivery. Currently, the Russian government seeks to establish state control of the economy by granting monopolies to cronies and imprisoning recalcitrant corporate executives. As with communism, this flirtation with fascism is just as doomed to failure. I believe I actually like, uh, I wish I could remember which one it was, but I believe it was like a, a Hoppe audiobook I listened to not too long ago. He kind of went right into that. Obviously, Hoppe wasn't pushing for agorism, but he was totally bringing up of how like this is how it worked in like, you know, in communist countries. Uh, Maybe it wasn't him. Uh, maybe it was somebody else. But it, it, it was definitely not an agorist. But he totally was making the same point of, you know, this is how it was that these companies that were being, you know, subjected to communism were had quotas to meet and such. And so they would find ways to make it work. And yeah. one of the points he's kind of getting at here is the counter economists thrived, which is one point I always try to stress in my agorism. It's like, uh, you know, with my pushing agorism, it's like, I think the future, if you want to, uh, if you want to do well, like this is a thing to take notes from. And I'm mm-hmm. not to say every agorist is going to be super rich or whatever, but you know, you 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 do what you can, and that's kind of why I like to stress too uh, the wealth, power, and influence uh, aspect of it, because that's one thing I've noticed lately. It's like wealth, power, and influence is just almost like the the concept Stapleton has been rocking is like kind of almost a different aesthetic of agorism. Because a lot of people see agorism as like this, uh, it's just solely about fuck the state. But it's like, it's also very much an individualism thing of like, hey, uh, I want to make some money. It's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a question, actually. You mentioned um, it wasn't like, while a papa not being agorist. And obviously, that, but I was wondering, are there any like legit libertarians who reject counter economics? I know there's ones who reject agorism as a whole, but are there any like libertarians who say, you know, you shouldn't do outside the state deals? I can't think of a single libertarian saying counter economics is bad. No, I don't know because I do. I know Hoppians typically. And I had Jared on my show before, mm-hmm. and we talked about it. And uh, I don't. I wish I can remember all the objections he brought up, but most of the stuff was just about little nitnoid aspects of agorism. And there was actually fair criticisms and criticisms mm-hmm. I actually kind of agree with. I do think agorism has a tendency to attract some of the wrong people, and mm-hmm. then you end up with this uh, philosophy that. Uh, and to be fair, that's not really necessarily a critique of the philosophy. It's more the people who, uh, you know, claim to be followers of it. Yeah. And let's be real. Most people don't really read. They uh, hear, you know, listen to a couple of people talk about it and they go, well, that's fucking cool. Uh, I guess I'm an agorist. And it's like, yeah, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the one of the common things is he kind of had a, a little bit of a tiff with uh, Rothbard, which I don't believe it's in this one. It's a new libertarian yeah. manifesto, which... Uh, I remember actually reading both people's points because they had like a back and forth, like almost essay battle about it. Yeah. And uh, I kind of, of, some of it. yeah, it's actually really, really good. And I, I, I still kind of agree with both because yeah. uh, it's, you know, it, the, the idea they were getting at is a concept of like, uh, you know, because he very much is not a fan of corporations. And I think at that point in time, I mean, maybe Rothbard changed his mind later, but Rothbard was still very much a. I guess more closer to like the Ayn Randian thing of like, look mm. at these beautiful big corporations. And, you know, Konkin was more like, uh, well, in a true free society, these things would not exist. And I think they're kind of both true because the idea that Rothbard is getting at is if we're in a true free society and you have this huge mega corporation, mm. it's a huge mega corporation because 
it was such so good at providing uh, things of value. But I also agree in a true free society that something being able to dominate to that extent is a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. So it's like I kind of agreed with both. So have um have you ever have you read a uh, Wasbot's piece about um what's it called uh, America's most persecuted minority? Maybe I don't recall. It, it opens up with uh, "What is America's most persecuted minority?" No, it's not big business, as some people might say. It puts in parentheses "land" and he goes, it's cigarette smokers, and he goes on to kind of like bits about people who smoke cigarettes not being able to be inside with cigarettes and stuff. But yeah, I I I, think, I, I, I have a definitely like the whole algorithm as a philosophy, like the non-voting, the non-political action. But I can't think of any solid objection to counter-economics if it's done well. I can yeah. see objective is done poorly, but in essence, it's anything done poorly. So, yeah. Uh, the other big uh, critique a lot of people bring up is they accuse it of being an egalitarian, uh, um, you know, philosophy. Which I mean, maybe, like I said, I've only read these books once, so maybe I missed that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get that vibe when I read mm-hmm. it. But I can see how people get that vibe because the the moral of agorism, in my opinion, is that like in a true free society, you would have more equality. That doesn't mean the equality is the goal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I made a tweet once as like the irony of egalitarianism is the more you push for it, the less you have. And, uh, you know, in a true free society, you would actually have less wealth inequality uh, or whatever. But, you know, when you're trying your best to try to, you know, level things out, you end up creating greater uh, inequality. So in a true free society, I actually think, don't get me wrong, there would still be natural hierarchies and there still would be inequality. Mm. But I actually think it would be far less. So, yeah. Yeah. So. And that's kind of what Conkin's getting at, because it kind of it straightens out the incentives to where it's you know you know it, it creates a little bit more of an equality type thing. Uh, Daniel, I, I really think if uh, oh happy, oh, happy insurrection day happy insurrection day Daniel. <laughs> I was gonna say um I really think that if Conkin didn't call himself a left libertarian, it the law of the divides wouldn't exist. Yes, that's like, a it, it, he yeah. alienated so many people unnecessarily. Yeah, and that's a, and that's really I don't. You kind of can't really fault him too much because you can't read the future at that point in time. Uh, I don't think the left had the same uh, stigma it does now, and he wasn't meaning it in the way people mean it when they say left now. He was yeah. meaning left in the sense of not utilizing political power, as in the the traditional use of the word left, meaning more like yeah. anarchist, not not working outside the system. So yeah, yeah and so. And I actually think that is in, in some ways the major fault because people go, oh, it's left libertarianism and all these lefties flock to it. And then it actually does kind of become this egalitarian philosophy in a way, even though it's really not. It's just but that people yeah. interpret it that way, um, which I don't know. Um, uh, um, nothing works in right-hand communism. Oh, shit. Where, no, fuck. I, uh, I need to go back. Do-do-do. Where am I? Uh... Oh, fuck. Currently, the Russian government seeks to uh, reestablish state control of the economy by granting monopolies to cronies and imprisoning recalcitrant corporate executives. As with communism, this flirtation with fascism is just as doomed to failure. Nothing works in right-hand communism. Everything works in the left-hand free market. From black market apartments in the Netherlands to black housing in Argentina, the counter-economy is well known to the people of the world as a place to get things otherwise unobtainable or keep things one has earned. Inflation breeds flight from fiat money. Exchange controls have created dual exchange rates in nearly every country in the globe. Whatever the number of local currency units a tourist can get for his dollars in the official exchange rate, he or she can get more on the black market. 
Uh, I do want to point out that inflation breeds flight from fiat money. That couldn't be once again, he was running the nineties and he still didn't get to see crypto. Uh, so, you know, or I mean, and this would apply to, you know, precious metals as well, uh, which I mean, precious metals still, I, I mean, I don't really follow precious metals. Well, I think they are still going up, but nowhere near as much as crypto. Uh, I know a lot of people say there's a lot of, uh, tampering in the, the gold and silver market that causes it to not do that. Uh, because they're trying to mitigate the appearance of the dollar being weak, um, you know, because you know powers that be don't want that. But <laughs> but it's way it's way it's not it's way harder to do that with something like crypto that you can't really. It's actually something I, I was thinking about because I, I wouldn't I've gone back and listened to a lot of like normies again. By that I mean Eric Weinstein, Brett Weinstein, mm -hmm. those kind of people, and they're always talking about how like our metrics are not at good for measuring things, and it's like they're kind of right. I think all the metrics are tailable. But they see that means they're actually fairly. I'm not gonna get to all this. We might have a set, but with crypto, I actually trust the metrics of measuring crypto. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like the decentralized metrics are actually better at measuring all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, because it's not made by powerful individuals who have and have reasons to not make it work out. But it's it's interesting to notice it. You know. Yeah, you just gotta find something that's a, a, a metric you trust, and that's not even to say you should entirely trust it. Because the other thing too is there's huge fluctuations in the crypto market, but that's because it's a little bit of a smaller market, and so it's way easier to upset. Uh, but the larger it gets, the less that that is the case. Um, so yeah, a uh, smuggling is so commonplace that nearly all tourists slip purchases past customs agents without thinking. Which I've done that myself uh, with just like little shit. Like you go on a cruise and my, you know, the wife wants to bring her, her, her weed vape pen, you know, something she's even legally allowed to have in Florida because she has a medical card. But it's like, ah, well, we're not allowed to do that here. And you're like, ah, do you think they'll notice it? I don't know. We have a spare one at home. So if they pull it, whatever, you know, but that's illegal. But you know, mm -hmm. fuck it. We did it anyways. You know, <laughs> so, like yeah. shit like that, you know, um, uh, perhaps 20 to 30% of Americans fail to report taxable income. Uh, actually nearly a hundred percent fail to report at least some, which I do like he points out that because, uh, I remember I listened to, I can't remember, maybe it was John Bush, but maybe it was somebody else, but someone pointed out once on, uh, I think it was unloose the goose that the thing about being an agorist and obviously this isn't a hundred percent true. Cause I mean, it's part of agorism or let's say being a counter economist. So part of being a counter economist is realizing you're a counter economist because we're all counter economists. Yeah. Uh, to some extent, because whether you mean to or not, to some extent, there's that human part of you that's like, uh, fuck this. Like, and you maybe don't even realize you're like, no, I'm not claiming that on my taxes. Like <laughs> they have no way of knowing that's retarded. Why would I claim that? You know, like, yeah. Or, or if you're a waitress, the same idea is like, no, I'm not claiming my tips like, <laughs> like uh, shit like that. Um, uh, but in Latin American countries, close to 80 percent goes un uncollected and the state supports itself by ever greater inflation of the fiat money supply, which I do like he pointed out that that is a, that is a big point of why uh, the inflation is such a big deal and why they fuck with the money so much is because they it's not a reliable method for them to collect their uh, their their due is through taxes because. The, and it's also a trickier way when they do it that way, because if all they ever did was just raise taxes when they need more money, we would there be people would push back way more, uh, yeah. you know, so they kind of have to trick people. 
uh, you know, Daniel, uh, I mean, he's giving me money. I'm going to keep put, putting it out. Uh, at this point, dude, why, you know, just, you should have just been my state, state of $20 fucking sponsor, dude. You could, I would fucking mention you and everything. You guys should go check out Daniel three and fucking make sure if you guys like his work, go check out his Patreon. I'm just ragging on him because he, uh, he used to be my $20 level and was a sponsor, but I don't read him anymore. Cause he's not, but you definitely should just check him out. He's about to have a, I'm just fucking them. I know he's going through a job change right now. And that's why they dropped it. Um, but you guys should go help him out, so that way he can get back on the twenty dollar level. So I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to point out that I dropped Daniel's Patreon because I'm going to a job saying, and he texted me like, "You broke up with me, bro." I'm like, "Not fine. He broke up with you. He ain't paid for it all." <laughs> yeah, well, at least you know he broke up with both of us, so we're good. Uh, I think he's still giving me. I think he might still be in the two dollar level or something. Which so, so you guys know the two dollar level is the minimum. The twenty dollars the top. But go ahead. He's giving you me four more, so. Maybe it's a five dollar level. I don't know. Uh, the border between Hong Kong and communist China and even the ocean straits between Taiwan and the mainland mainland bustle with illegal trade. Western DVDs and jeans were once illegally available in most provinces of China. Now they're manufacturing from there. Saigon renamed Ho Chi Minh City remains the black market center of Vietnam. Even more telling, it produces most of the goods and services of all Vietnam. Myanmar's rigidly controlled official economy, according to the Manchester Guardian, is nothing but paper and the entire market has gone black. Under the noses of American forces, Afghani tribes grow, process, and ship heroin by the metric ton. Let's be real, they were in on that shit. (laughs) So that might not be the most accurate portrayal of that. But yes, the same. it applies to. Tax evasion, inflation avoidance, smuggling, free production, and illegal distribution still compose only half the counter economy. I guess since I mentioned that, uh, that was a thought I had was even the government engages in the counter economy. Because yeah. that is like, because I point out the heroin thing, for a lot of people who don't know, this isn't even like a conspiracy thing. This is a thing that has been well documented in the past. It's one of those things that they usually say, oh, we're not doing that now. But it's like, dude, you've done it like bajillion times in the past you've been caught red-handed multiple times it's a well-known practice that the fed boys uh in a roundabout way procure their funds through elite through illicit activities but it's not necessarily illicit because they're the government so if they get busted they don't really get busted but it's that's how they are able to keep their money off the books so even the government is involved in black market activities so uh yeah um which i don't know i guess it cancels out at that point i don't know how that works but um labor flows as freely as capital as hordes of illegal aliens pour across borders from more status to less status economic regions consciousness altering substances and even unproven medicines such as dichlorosate and latril make up a well-known but small fraction of the counter economy Drugs are grown on huge plantations, refined in scores of factories and laboratories, distributed by fleets of boats, planes, trucks, and cars, and sold to customers by regiments of wholesalers and armies of street dealers. The state's impositions of some people's moral codes on other people's or on others leads to Bible smuggling in atheist states and pornography publishing in conservative religious states. You got anything to say on that one? I know that's your little bit. Uh, but. <laughs> I got well, I got a lot of stuff about that. One, I didn't even think about. Um, medicine you know like there's those uh stem cell places down in like bahamas and stuff that people go to for, like medicine i've been thinking about those like being technically i guess counter i don't know if, you, uh, if it's illegal in your country and you're traveling to do it in a country that is legal is that count the counter economics 
That's a I don't know. One. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I, I don't know. It depends. You're not, like, you're not uh, paying any taxes, so I mean, I guess that would be a metric well, for it. I don't know. I mean, I'm it. It's, it's a gray area. We'll call that gray market. See, gray, that's gray market. There, there's gray market. <laughs> when I don't know if it's illegal or not, there you go. It's gray, gray market. market. <laughs> um, um, like I say, the Bible smuggling, the porn smuggling thing is uh, it's funny and it's also true, but it's um, mm-hmm. I, I how do I put this? What was I gonna say? I was gonna stop. But anyway, this um, no, it's interesting to see countries that get smuggled in like Bibles and stuff. You know, it's always um. So, I, don't know, I find it, I find it interesting that they are Chris into a thing with like black market dealing Bibles in some countries. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I funny. I mean, it's, it's not nece- it's not necessarily on point, but you do see every now and then like conservatives push for like banning porn. It's yeah. like here's your counterpoint of like really it's just it's a flip the flip side of countries who ban or like are like crazy countries that ban your Bibles. It's like you're it's still gonna yeah. get through. All you're doing is creating a black market for it. Yeah. I mean like is anyone really getting hurt? I mean I guess sure you can make a moral argument. Like if you're yeah. in some situation where someone's like legitimately a sex slave and being forced into this, yeah, I'm against it. But if it's some you know floozy who just wants to get dick down for money and put it on video okay yeah. go for it. Like I, I don't know. Like I mean yeah. who am I to stop you? <laughs> like, yeah. No it, it's just like um Outlawing there were there was a counter to outlaw porn like last year or something, and the moment they did the VPN signups went through the roof. Like everyone to sign up a VPN is like you can't it's not, you can't do it. It can't happen yeah. now. Yeah, you know? no, so v- it's it's dumb. Yeah. VPNs are a great thing. Like that's another thing that's almost like a, you could make a case that's like a gray market or black market thing because. Oh, yeah. Shit, when I was deployed in the in fucking uh, I was in the Middle East. I was a, uh, I mean, I was a mechanic, so I wasn't like I was out there shooting hajis. I was literally like at an airport or like a basically an airbase, and I just like, I basically did the same thing that I did in the states over there. It just, you know, the only difference is instead of going on training missions and wasting a shitload of gas like like I did when I was in the states, when I was over there, they would go fly and they would go go refuel fucking jets that wouldn't kill people. That's the only difference. Uh, so I was working on planes that did that, but. But basically, what would like there? We all VPNs because you know, like we were in, uh, I think Qatar. Yeah, we were in Qatar. That's where we were. And uh, porn is illegal. And like they even search you when you come to the state. Like you can't have anything in your like when you when you came to the base. Uh, they like went through all your stuff. You can't have anything illicit. Like say I had nudies in my wife, I could get in trouble. I mean, I don't know how much trouble I really get. Cause I mean, they still have a working relationship with the government, our government. So it's not like they yeah. go like, you know, execute me or some shit, but they'd probably be like, Hey, uh, maybe they'd get rid of it. Maybe I'd get in trouble, get sent back to the States. I don't know. But point being everyone at VPN, everyone was watching porn. Everyone was doing all the normal stuff. Like say like Netflix and Qatar had restrictions. Like you'd only watch certain stuff because they but you just get a vpn problem solved and like yeah. it's we're getting to this point to where the the beautiful thing about like agorism or counter counter economics i guess to be more accurate because mm-hmm. uh, agorism entails a lot more yeah. but counter economics is like we're getting to this point where there's so many innovations we're becoming so decentralized where it's like it's the kind of thing with the cody wilson thing with like uh, 3d printing it's kind of like the gun control debate is over the, yeah. It's the same idea with uh, with with fucking porn. The porn debate is over. Ban it yeah. all you fucking want. I'm getting a VPN, bitch. Like, yeah, it's like really <laughs> when it comes to like books. We had a freedom of speech stuff. Like, you can't. Um, Michael Mass at this point, like, if hundred years ago you were arguing about should a book be uh, illegal or illegal, it doesn't matter. It's on the internet. It's here for good. It's, if we speech debate, it's kind of over because of the internet. What's this? Kind of nice. What's kind of funny yeah. is like free speech is like free speech debate is over. We're having more free speech debates now because of Twitter banning people. And it's mm-hmm. like, just get a VPN, we make a new account, and then go on a new service. It's like, you can't, yeah. they can't stop you. 
Yep. <laughs> um, all right. The world's oldest profession as sexual prostitution has been titled is also, if that tells true, the world's oldest counter-economic industry. Feminists seeking control of their own bodies look to the counter-economy to obtain contraceptives and find midwives to deliver babies their way in the counter-economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody works at anything anywhere which is not connect- connected with counter-economics. Those looking for a more exhaustive listing of counter-economic activities with all the sources and references footnoted are invited to read the author's upcoming book, Counter-Economics, which I don't think – I'm pretty sure he never made, so he probably yeah. he died before that was made. Um, all right, next section. You have anything on that? There was a lot in there. There was actually a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I was, I know he does this a lot. when He, he said uh, smuggling Bibles and smuggling porn. Here he said contraceptions and then midwives. So it's like he's – he lists them as kind of like a left wing thing, then jumps like a right wing thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, white wing guy can read this and be like, oh, contraceptions, if they're Catholic or something. They can read midwife, and go, oh, that's good. And like, he he does a good job of somehow, like, probably not even intended to be like balancing it out so he can read it and go, okay, well, I can like half of that. And that's kind of the beauty of the pretend I don't have to support things, but I can still like tolerate it. So, yeah, I like that. I noticed that. Nice. All right, next section information. Two counter economic industries are singled out for their importance to agorism. Justice is a commodity. Its manner of distribution defines the social system and will be covered in detail in Chapter 7. The other business is information. The internet explosion has led the American state for now, at any rate, to throw up its tentacles at regulation of the information industry. So you're just touching on that, which... You know, we see even now, to this day, we see more and more regulation. They try, they try. Things shift from one thing to the other. And I know, like, people get upset, say, with, like, Twitter and, like, you know, pulling shit. And then people are like, you know, we, the big thing's Getter. And no matter what, I, don't, I think Getter will probably fail. I, I don't. Yeah. I have no delusions that Getter is going to take over for Twitter. But it's like, they like, I moved from Facebook to Twitter. I mean, something, some, you know, and then like something will change if, if they keep stamping down. People move from one place to another. You know, even shit. Parlor got huge for a minute there. It's just they kind of mm-hmm. made a fatal mistake of not uh, their servers or whatever. So not to say Parlor was ever really going to take off, but yeah. I mean, the point being is it's getting more and more decentralized. And even with something like social media, they're the more decentralized they get, the more it it even the more it even um, what's the word it, more it um individualizes itself to the individual person, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like say with Parler, Parler, if it hadn't been for the server thing, Parler would have been a, it would have been a great place for like right-wingers. And then, then it's like, okay, say with like Facebook. Okay, fine. You left-wingers have Facebook. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, you know, like you guys want I'm, that to be echo chambers left- are good. <laughs> yeah. I like echo chambers. Yeah. Hate is great. Like, I don't give a shit. Division is awesome. You know, like I'm all for it. Like, um, absolutely. Like I, I want everything. I want things to get divided as much as possible. Just don't fuck with me. <laughs> like, yep. So, yep. what was it? Um. Oh God, I was gonna, I was gonna ask him. Um. Do you know? Do you know if there are any like social medias that are being ran on like a blockchain side of thing where they can't be taken down? Like, like you know, no one trying to get shut down and just move to a new location. I think Hive. I think is a thing I've heard of before. I don't mm. know the details. I tried to get on it. I'm not. I'm a bad agorist in this part when it comes to tech stuff. I'm really bad at that because yeah. I don't even have crypto. I'm awful. I don't like tech stuff. So I think the I think the hurdle will be for making things more user friendly. Now, say something like Odyssey. I know it's a different thing, but Odyssey mm-hmm. is becoming more and more user friendly, and that's I think the big thing. Like you want something that can yeah. be something people can jump onto easy, uh, and that's kind of. I think maybe Hive will get there. I don't know. I don't know what thing will, but the the, the tools are there. It's just a matter of building them and getting the people on board. Yeah. So, but yeah, there that is a thing. They're they're totally they're making those. Mm-hmm. It's just about getting the enough people to onboard, you know, and then you know. I'm wondering. Um, 
Uh, I'm curious about um, counter-economics being done in, like, the metaverse now. I've been thinking about it, like, because, like, you know, people on Twitter are obviously, like, people are selling drugs through uh, Twitter, you know? So it's not like they catch everything now. It's like they're going to be people trading, I don't know, some kind of thing in the metaverse. So, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about, like, metaverse is so weird to me because it's, like, all privately owned. It's like you buy land, but you're renting land. You're, you're renting out digital land from Facebook who already owns it all. So you actually don't own anything. You're just renting things out for somebody else. And it's, it's just the uh, the logistics of the property in the metaverse. It's like blowing my mind trying to figure out how it's going to operate, how people are going to use it. It's Yeah, I don't even – I honestly haven't even began to grapple the metaverse. It just seems way too techy and gay to me. I'm just like, it, I'm dude, good. I saw, <laughs> I saw a video today. This is the gayest thing I've ever seen. Um, There's a guy in a My Hero costume with like the, uh, the blue and white one with the green Deku hair. Yeah, and, fucking dope ass show. I watched it with my kid. Yeah, it's amazing. It's great show. Um, yeah. You know that invisible chick in the show? Yeah, invisible girl. No, I think was yeah. Shit, yeah. So uh, there's this guy with a VR headset on at a convention, and they created a VR controller, pretty much. That is a that's just a body with no arms and legs. It's just you know the boobs and everything like that and stuff. And he's in the VR headset and he's fucking the shit out of it in front of everybody. <laughs> and it's in VR. Like he has his hands in motion and he's slapping the girl's ass and said, it's just a guy in a Deku costume fucking a see-through thing. I, I sailed it and I said, Deku fucking the invisible chick. Um, <laughs> but like this guy was having full-blown VR, like just slapping the shit out of it and VR sex. I'm like, is that metaverse? That that metaverse sex? This is so fucking weird to me. Yeah, I, I'm so behind. My my one of my my wife got one of the kids for Christmas. Some like one of those like VR headsets, and they've got me to put it on like twice. And I'm like, this is just stupid, and I don't see the point. This is gay. I hate it. <laughs> like I'm such an old timer in that way. I'm I'm only like 30, but I just and I've I've never been one to be a big tech guy. I don't I don't know. So like I, I have a VR headset because I have a lot of like my few friends IOL, which is now VR friends because they don't want to do anything but VR. Um, it's interesting because they're like full blown VR sports. They are like zero gravity VR sports. I'm like, I don't like sports, but like it's a unique thing. Yeah. At the same time, I hopped in it and I took on like it was corn to a barrier, taking on the swords. I got off and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. And we're like, I'm a fat loser who plays video games. I was just corn in five minutes ago. I'm gonna go back. <laughs> it's like this is not good for people. All right. Every legislative session, however, brings new attempts to tax and control the World Wide Web. But consider this well. Should the counter-economy lick the information problem, it would virtually eliminate the risk it incurs under the state's threat. That is, if you can advertise your products, reach your consumers, and accept payment, a form of information, all outside the detection capabilities of the state, what enforcement of control would be left? Um you know they're they're getting at a lot of what we were getting at there which is like um you know there's things are so decentralized now where it's like the the beauty of agorism now and you gotta think how many irs agents really are there i'm not saying go out and evade your taxes but like i'm saying especially if things are incredibly decentralized and you have multiple different forms of ways you're getting paid and from uh, especially different currencies. It's like, I don't know. You're creating a nightmare for the IRS to try to figure that out. I mean, don't get me wrong. If they ever try, I, okay. I, I'm putting, I'm putting it a little bit lightly because obviously Ross Albrook's a good example. If the state decides to really focus on you, they will fuck you. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're just some dude, 
they're probably not going to go to that extent. I mean, keep you know? off money they had to put on to get Ross and how many people it took. Like, yeah. it was at least at least seven seven different people involved in it. It's yeah. like if you're, you're one dude, you probably you just don't make a website. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of don't <laughs> yeah. start something that other people can use. Yeah. Just do your own thing. Yeah, don't don't make a website howiavadetaxes.com. Like, yeah. yeah, don't make a spectacle of it. But yeah. I mean, I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying we're in a time and place where let's be real, you probably can really get away with it. What are the chances you're going to get audited? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's always a chance. And that's mm-hmm. something, uh, I don't know if it's this book or if it's a uh, Libertarian Manifesto. He literally lays out a whole entire formula of like, hey, away your risk and reward and, you know, go from there. Like, what are the chances I'm going to cut? What's the fine here? Like, uh, you know, like. Uh, well, I'm not so, an I can't afford yeah. fines. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, which I get, you know, um, but. Yeah, I don't. Uh, uh, but and then obviously, like, yeah, somebody like Ross Ulbricht was legit a threat to the state. So they were yeah. like, but at the time, at the same time, if there's a bajillion, there's a million people that are minor threats to the state, they're not going to direct all their attention to railroad a minor threat. Yeah. Um, you know, so. All right. At the leading edge of web development today is encryption. Advanced researchers have developed methods of locking away data in memory banks that defy any breaking in. That is, the state cannot reach the invoices, inventory lists, accounts, and so on of the counter economist. Uh, I keep stopping. There's so much good shit here. Um, what was I going to say? Say with something like crypto. There have been people who have gotten trouble for shit with crypto, whether it's like tax evasion or whatever, and they go to jail, do the time, come out, and just then get their money because they yeah. they're at a point where they have. I mean, yes, I guess technically maybe they do have methods to get it, but pretty much no i mean uh, i mean i'm not a tech guy i mean so uh, but i know pretty much like uh blockchain is damn near impenetrable and even yeah. if they do figure out a way to penetrate it they would have to put in so many resources into it it's not likely yeah. so i want I a mean, story you, you, <laughs> go ahead i'm gonna say this guy got arrested and they like tried to confiscate his bitcoin wallets and stuff and um they, they couldn't get into it because of the password and he did his time and he came out and he just like it just increased his money and he cast it in like yeah. they, they can't get to it. it was, they need like they need it for like a trial because he supposedly hired a hitman with it, so they want it for evidence. He's like, I plead the fifth. I'm not giving you my information. And yeah, he just they couldn't do anything about it. It's kind of nice. Yeah, which I mean, I don't know how much time he did, but there you go. There's the Conkian uh, formula right there. I don't know how much money he made, but let's say, let's say that he they 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 hit him with a two year two year fucking sentence, and he knew that hey, I have. Six million sitting in the bank. Okay, well, I'll fucking do. I'll do two years. Yeah. So I'm not giving you that money. Fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, I don't know what the the, the amounts here. Now, if this was over ten thousand dollars, the math is a little bit different. Here you go. Here's yeah. my key. Here's the password. Uh, let me go, please. Got like, like a dollar fifteen in, uh, in Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Noah says he's pretty sure it's in the primer. Well, then I guess we'll get to it eventually. Uh, we we kind of go on tangents and get on the little uh, talking just, points. So I'm fine with talking about here. You know, there's yeah. someone to say. Yeah, in an area of human society, immune to the power of the state deserves a name. If anything, uh, if anything does, of anarchy, um, which I like that. Um, the state, though, continues to attempt to penetrate privacy with quantum computing methods of cracking even the most complex cryptographic schemes. Will the counter economy respond with co- uh, quantum ki- crypt- cryptography? Stay tuned. The race is hardly at an end. Right Which- there, Noah Kirby, right yeah. in the uh, comment. This immediately, as he started reading it, it said blockchain to be safe once a quantum computer comes along. Then you'd probably have quantum encryption. Yes. 
which I mean, that was which the beauty of this is especially the further along innovation gets the further ahead we get of the state because for one, the state has limited amount of resources. And even though they may have, let's say they had quantum computing right now, which I don't think they do. Let's say they did and they were able to, to do it. I'm sure it probably would take a certain amount of resources, whatever. And it's probably not something they would use all the time. And it's also would be something they don't want to let people know they have. Uh, so the ch they probably wouldn't use it all the time. So, but I don't think they have it. And even then innovation is such that, you know, it, I think it was on the episode with Malice and Peterson. I remember where he went on his show and uh, I think it was even Peterson who said this himself is the free market is always more efficient because it requires less energy uh, to be exerted because you're not trying to also use force. Yes. You're just allowing, and it's decentralized, just people working mm -hmm. towards their incentives. Whereas with the state, it's a limited amount of people working towards their own individual incentives as opposed to the majority of people individually working to their own incentives. So, you know, yeah. and it's uh, kind uh, of like, go ahead. It's one of the craziest things about um, security and encryption when it comes to like, this is, they're constantly at odds and they're both trying to get quantum first. And the moment one gets it, the other one's going to get it too. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a, the way who gets it first is like, not, like, oh, they got it first six months later, and we're caught up. Like, mm -hmm. it's just that's the program in Crypton that's kind of great, I think, is that every time there's a new breakthrough, like, there were guys I read about who are black hat hackers who were devising the Crypton key that's like, like a, a hack that you can't beat. And then after a month of it being used, they'll go sell off the, they're, they're already pre made security for their own hack and sell off that security. You know, to the break the law as a counter economist and then the soda solution to fix it in the white market. And then they just kind of go forward from there. And it's genius. If you can do it, do it. I mean. All right. Um, shit, where am I? Uh, do, do, do. This leads us to two crucial questions. What happens if the state is abolished and we have a free market? And why is the counter economy not overwhelmed the existing economy already? These questions bring us back to the land of theory where libertarianism answers the first question and agorism the second. Before we uh, deal with them, let us consider some applications of counter-economic business practices and social interactions, which will both illustrate our descriptions and possibly be of some profit to you and yours. And this leads us into the next chapter, which is counter-economics or applied counter-economics. What happens is why is the counter-economy... Okay, I think he might be slowly leaning into his aspects of why political involvement is not ideal. What's up, Travis? That's my fucking dude. He's the alpha Chad. Um, he's in the chat. Travis Tyree. You guys, at Confirmed Linklet. Go fucking check him oh, out. He's got a great, okay, I know, I know who that yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, dude. Big dick energy all the way. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he might be leading into uh, kind of a little bit what holds us back is diddling around the stupid fucking political arena where it's like, or we should just be living our lives and, you know, every one of us engaging to the Agora to the, the most that we're comfortable with. So, yeah. you know, uh, but anyways, I guess my slight disagreements probably. And so I'm yeah. not going to get too into it, but a little bit into it, probably. Yeah. but there's a lot of crossover. I think, uh, you're, you're more of a paleo. I'm definitely agorist. I think we'll actually have a lot of the same arguments oh, yeah. because, and, uh, I've actually, I remember even, I think even Sal, I saw once in an inter interaction with Tho found himself very much in agreement. And that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, like, obviously I don't a hundred percent agree with your, your methodology or praxis or whatever, but I actually prefer it to fucking uh, be like using the LP or some shit because at least there's actual power where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. At least there's something fucking there. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, 
this last week of the LPMC, I mean, I hate it, but Sal was right in so many ways. And uh, it's just like they get their principle for something like they drop principle, not for a cool Machiavellian shit. They drop principle for a pragmatic loser. Yeah, like, I know. Oh, I kind of, I kind of got a Dave, and I was actually being super nice because I love Dave. I wasn't even on the tack, and I actually did say something because they were talking about uh, God, because he said something along the lines of like, uh, oh, well, this guy is not really uh, a subversive because he's he's a uh, he he just had bad takes. And, oh God, I wish I remember exactly. I said it, and uh, you know, and I was like, because because he said something like the difference between like bad character and having bad takes, mm-hmm. and I was like, they're the same in effect. And he goes, oh no, they're different. I'm like yeah but and i said something along the lines of like he's like uh well we don't need to be turning these people away like okay but we're talking about putting someone in a position of influence it's a little bit different (laughs) than just some (laughs) random at the party (laughs) so watching um Zoss Smith's interaction with people. I'm watching, like, okay, he's making good points, making good points. But when he dropped the Juan Paul and Dorfman video again, like I said, have whatever position I want, that was like, okay, he's one. Dropped the Juan Paul endorsement. I was like, fuck yeah, go Zoss. It was, it was great to see. And I don't know what to tell you. If you guys don't see how transparent it was that the LPMC got dragged and then all of a sudden, he the guy in question said happy birthday to a person that people don't like and that's what was the the straw that broke the camel's back i don't know that i mean maybe i mean don't get me wrong that could legit have been totally i mean i don't know the the conversations we had behind the scenes but that just comes off to me as political backtracking because uh looking for an out and it wasn't even a good out because you could totally that could be a guy that he doesn't agree with him whatsoever but he's just being polite (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) Yes. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't say I it wouldn't tell Joe Bishop. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't tell Joe Bishop, Bishop Henchman happy birthday either. But it's a weird way to be like, oh, now we don't support him. Like, what? Like, okay, uh, all right. Um, and and the funny thing is, like, this has been my main critique of utilizing the LPMC or the LP in general. Because even though I think the LPMC is in general kind of great, I knew over time it will return to the status quo because that's where the incentives lie. Yeah. And it's this, uh, like, obviously, like, that one position doesn't mean it's going to entirely turn the status quo, mm-hmm. but it kind of indicates that's the way it's leading. I, I and this- I actually thought it was going to be way down the line. I gave mm-hmm. them more credit than uh, than in even that, and I'm supposed to be the naysayer. I was like, I thought it was going to be years down the road. I didn't think you'd do this right now. <laughs> like, I, I, I made this um two months ago. I said... The LP, how did I put it? I said, um, the LPMC needs a clean house. They keep giving concessions and they take over places and keep getting fucked over. They, 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 the, the problem with the LP is it's a big tent. They keep letting in subversive elements. The LPMC is taking over and still trying to be a big tent. Mm-hmm. Letting in the same people that are taking over from. It's like, you know, you take it over, you take some scalps, you kick them out. You can't take it over and leave them there. They're the problem. <laughs> it, yeah. I don't get it. All right, let's get in the next chapter. Uh, I want to try to knock it out. We we dilly dally. This is a really short chapter, and we went on a whole yep. bunch of. Um, so I'm gonna let you read this chapter, and we'll and I'll I'll, I'll be the one that pops in here and there. Chapter four: Applied Counter Economics. Counter Economics is the application people have discovered and acted in a counter economic way, without understanding what they are doing, why they are doing it, and even denying that they are doing it. Understand uh, doing it all. Understanding that you are doing usually helps and applying counter-economic system systematically and consistently maximizes both your profit and freedom. As it turns out, the basic formula is no more difficult than simple account accounting and arithmetic used in our business. 
The basic law of counter-economics is trade risk for profit. Having done so, one naturally actively moves Acting, we move felt real, real quick. Uh, I, I do want to say uh, that was a point I was getting at earlier. He mm-hmm. says right there the basic law of counter economics is trade risk for profit. So if you're in a spot, you're weighing risk and reward. So if you're in a spot where the risk outweighs the reward, uh, no one is saying you need to go live in the woods and you know live entirely off crypto, grow your own food, all that mm-hmm. shit, because that's retarded. Um, but like you know, you do what you can with your given skills and you're, you're willing to accept risk and the, and yeah. your given venture you're taking on and what you have to reward from it. And that's what he's getting at right there. But go on. So Absolutely. What was I having done? So naturally, uh, attempt acting to remove felt unease attempts to reduce the risk. If you would, if you reduce your risk, while others continue to face the higher risk, you naturally outcompete and survive longer. And you profit. And you pro- oh, that was the yeah. And you profit. I thought that continued on. My bad. What's the risk? It is possible to make a reasonable estimate of. Huh, I got. Hold on. I can't read this. My room's too dark. I'm gonna turn the light on. <laughs> I had the light off for the. For, I got these fancy lights up top for the podcast, and I can't fucking read. Okay. One second. I do want to address this. My point, my whole point I've been getting at all the time is there are incentives in place and how certain things work and they drive things certain way. I really think someone at some point should maybe, maybe someone has done out there do some sort of work because I'm not smart enough to do it on incentives within like political movements or parties or whatever. Because my point is that certain incentives drive things certain ways. And to attempt what you guys are doing is to invite incentives and eventually the incentives went out and we all understand incentives as libertarians and or at least good libertarians understand incentives but a lot of them don't apply it when it comes to party politics for some fucking reason and incentives push a certain way and it's, it's just the, the nature of the beast the idea that we're going to invite incentives and continue to invite incentives and it's going to win out eventually my argument is the more you fight incentives the larger you're going to build the party and eventually it's going to go back and you're just going to end up with a larger platform for your fucking enemies so yeah. uh, like this about getting most about a lot of libertarians is they will uh, they love economics they love economic Austrian economic laws you're like oh the, the large men returns or the other kind of economic laws, and they'll say these are basically like laws of gravity. They almost always apply. But when you bring up like political science and say this is a law of politics, immediately doesn't account. It's like, well, people are different. It's like the same argument you use against political science you use against economics and you believe in. So accept these things as reality and work within the system that is given. It's yeah. yeah. Where was I at? Um Konkin or fucking Hoppa. Those are the only two ways. Yeah. But go on. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. And even then, I, I'm a little shaky in the Hoppa thing. I just haven't really become up with a good argument why it wouldn't work. I think maybe in the long run, it will fall apart, you know, eventually, just because, but it uh, it works out way better, in my opinion, yeah. than anything else. So, well, if you really, the post libertarian praxy and like the Hoppa agorist route together, that's really how we're going to get out of here, out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the only way. All right. Um, what's the risk? <laughs> yeah. Um, it is possible to make a reasonable estimate of the risk you are taking in counter economic activity. Which is better precision than many businesses, uh, business ventures offer. The government itself gathers statistics concerning apprehension of criminals and publishes them. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Um, the police agencies brag about how few cases are solved, and then how fast the crime uh, is growing to justify the ever bigger budgets. N- nonetheless, most crimes go completely unreported and undetected, so the state's stats are the upper limit of apprehension. That is, their figures are usually at maximum with the highest apprehension rate for most foul 
crimes seldom had 20% indicates in the government effectiveness in maintaining public order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a benefit. Like, like um, when trying to do math, you have to have all the, have have all the information, you know, and government gives you information, which is just, you know. Yeah, that, nice. that's, that's my point, Daniel. <laughs> You're so, yeah, you're, you're so close. Just, you're so close to being yeah. on the right side of everything. Just, just move over. I mean, granted, all the yes. good white-wing people have already blocked I, you. I agree. Trouble. Nothing works forever. And my point is, this isn't going to work, and all you're doing is creating a larger platform for your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> was it, um, Andrew, Andrew's hoping that when the LP goes, like, when the uh, MC, MC takes over, by that time, they've already become full left-wing, and it's going to, like, um, condone pedophilia in their bylaws, and it's, like, end the party forever. That's his Yeah, wasn't that, I mean, I didn't look into the, all the things of that guy, but that motherfucker, don't get me wrong, I get it. The argument is, from the, their perspective, is this is a vice chair position, and also he's, he's not, like, if he were ever to make any sort of push for anything, that there was a, they had such a super majority, they'd be like, fuck that. But the idea is the matter of the influence. And so now how is that going to affect people within the party? How is that going to affect that so-called supermajority when they want to push things? Are they going to like, you know, whether it's consciously or subconsciously mm-hmm. make certain pushes, knowing it might piss off their vice chair who may say things publicly, not condoning it or or even make little digs here and there. It, it has its effects, whether yeah. it's 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 doesn't have to be super overt, but it's going to have its effects. So. Okay. Um, is it worth it? Suppose you were to do something counter-economic. To be specific, you can buy something for ten thousand instead of twenty thousand. Your regular overhead is five thousand. Your net return on investment is five thousand. Um, is five thousand. On an investment fifteen thousand, that's thirty-two percent, extremely high. But since there is a risk, you can. You, how can you tell if the return is worth it? Let's say the government claims it catches twenty percent of those doing. What you want to do, if you are caught, the penalty would be a maximum fine of 50000 or six months in jail. Your downside risk then is 20% of 50000 or 10000 in the example. Uh, it would not be worth to get, not be worth it. The gain 5000 5, but risk losing 10000 This is actually the part where Conkin loses me the most um, is mass because I hate, I, 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 like, like Carl Mango, I, like, uh, on Twitter, I fucking hate mass. I, I just can't stand it. And this is the part where he loses me because I'm reading numbers and my brain is just drifting off. But the but, idea, I mean, you can tell yeah. the very idea he's getting at. It's just a it. matter of just compute it and go, oh, well, I have yeah. more, I have, I'm more likely to gain from this than I am to lose from it. But go on. Yeah. Um, if the rate was 10% and the fine was 25%, then you, then your risk would be 25,000 25, for gain and 5,000. Uh, five That's obvious. Yeah. yeah. Okay. As obvious, you can get caught one time and pay 10. Pay off your fines, and they come out way ahead. Of course, all these calculations make certain assumptions about your subjective values. You may yep, feel that's risk. important. I do want to say right there that's important about your subjective values. So mm-hmm. he's not at no point in is he ever saying you have to do this or you have to do that because that's a common straw man of agorism is that you need to do this or whatever. Because even then, people might make or try to make a case like, oh, okay, well you have this thing, and if it applies, it depends on your subjective values. So what yeah. you are comfortable with, what you value. How far you're willing to push it, so on and so forth. Go on. Absolutely. Um, what was I of at? course. Oh wait, no. Uh, you may fear. Oh, here it is. Or you may lose frustrating this. Uh, no, that's not it. You may fear risk to a pathological state, and any risk is too much. Go on. Here it is. Um, and the high and take high risk for lower gains just for the fun of it. 
actually a more realistic risk assessment would include the price of a lawyer. Well, sorry, sorry, I mean, I don't mean to be a dick, but I, I do think uh, the full sentence there is: you may fear risk to a pathological state, and any risk is too much. So you say you're a more neurotic individual, or you may love frustrating the state and take high risk for lower gain just for the fun of it, or mm -hmm. even say say the difference between me and Sal. I'm a married guy. I have kids. I have a house. I have, you know, I have, I have, I'm a wage slave a little bit as well too. You know, I have a normal job, but I also have my agoristic adventures. Uh, now say somebody like Sal, he's a single guy. He's basically from what my understanding, it looks like he's basically entirely in, in the, in the fucking, he's, you know, he's got all of his shit in the counter economy. So he, in a sense, he's a lot less to lose in a certain way. And he's, mm -hmm. I, I'd say maybe, I mean, I don't know his personal, you know, economic situation, but we're definitely in very different situations. So the type of me, I think me and me and, uh, me and Sal are both agorists. I'm not saying he's any more of an agorist than I am. We're both agorists. Yeah. We just have different subjective values. So, yeah. but go on. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Sal is great. I, I found yeah. my podcast. He's super fun to talk to. Yes, he's a great guy. Everyone gives him shit because of his, his uh, how he portrays himself on Twitter. And I do think sometimes he doesn't really do himself favors in the yeah. way he portrays himself. The Kyle Wittenhouse saying was. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Any, anyways. But uh, anyone who does that, watch one of his podcasts that he's on or have him on your podcast and you'll have a completely different view of him. Great so, guy. Yeah. Um, actually, a more realistic assessment would be in, include the price of a lawyer to beat your charts and a perhaps probability of being convicted after apprehension. Assume that the retainer of your lawyer weighs the overhead of $1,000 per transaction. Now your payoff is 4000 But the conviction rate was plea bargaining and court delays is only 20%. Again, that is high in many jurisdictions. In many cases, dropped long before that before you come to trial. Now your risk using your first figures is 20% of 20% of 50000 or 2000 was a payoff of four thousand and loss of two thousand would deter few entrepreneurs. If you would like a simple, simple formula for your own business, try this: counter-economic payoff equal profit minus loss, promise price minus cost minus overhead minus penalty or fine x probability of arrest x probability of conviction. Yeah, if you, wanna, if you guys want to, if you guys want to. If you guys want to make that make sense, I'm, we're not going to be able to make that make sense in a spoken word thing because it's literally written out like a formula. Get the book and you'll see what I mean. It's literally he writes it out like a formula. If you really yeah. want to get that autistic with your counter economic ventures, go, go do that. So, yeah, but go on. Yeah. If positive, go. If negative, don't go. Lowering the risk. Taking responsible, responsible steps to conceal your activities. From accidental discovery, learning to talk only to trusted friends, spotting poor risk or government agents all reduces your risk and increases your payoff. As you develop techniques to lower your risk, you will increase your counter-economic activities. More of them become profitable. These side effects include the creation of an agorist society. More on that in Chapter 7. Now, I've been uh, watching Sopranos recently and uh, watching like, the libertarian kind of having respect for the mob. And seeing Tony, like, say, I'm, I'm only going to go to one guy. We're all going to meet here. Go to a payphone. Always step. Like, he, but in Spanish, Tony, like, knows exactly how we go case works and how much things are everything. Like, that's 40000 That's Grand Larson. He's just, like, in the know on the laws because he's trying not to get arrested. It's yeah. um, it's really interesting to kind of, like, notice that as an, an agorist. Like, oh, I, I, I get that now. It makes sense. That's why he's doing it. Yeah. 
Uh, Travis said right here, I do want to point out, he put it in a different way that makes sense. My situation is such that your incentives that will drive you to capitulate or play the game at an earlier point in order to keep stability for your family than you would if you were in Sal's position. And that's 100% true. Uh, and, I mean, you could probably look at that in a negative way and be like, oh, you're just bitching out. Uh, the good good examples like the vaccine stuff. I, I've gotten a lot of shit from a lot of people that saying that in some people should probably bitch out and do it. I'm sorry. It depends on your given situation. Uh, like, uh, there was some guy on Twitter. I've used this example recently that he, he posted and he was like, Oh, I have three kids and, and no money in the bank and I'm losing my job because I didn't want the jab. And I was, and I know this is like a lot of people were like, like read about my head. I'm like, yeah, you should have got the fucking jab. Like, yeah. and a lot of people are like, well, you should have put yourself in a better situation. And they're like, well, okay, yeah, sure. But here he is. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, this is yeah. his situation currently. So yeah. given it's the current circumstances, I, I okay. I, mean, I don't know what fuck your kids like. I <laughs> like and not winning I a university. And and even then, from a long game perspective, what good are you if you if you put yourself in economic and family ruin? Mm. Uh, like, how are you going to be of any help to yourself or to like the big game at large? If you're if you're thinking of it that way, like, how are you going to help fight the fight? If you just completely mm-hmm. bankrupt yourself and fuck yourself over and put you in a situation to where you're yeah. useless, like yeah, it's, and so yeah. I, I Obviously, say, the idea of agorism is to get yourself to a position where that's not a problem. Yeah. To ideally, you know, work yourself there, wealth, power, and influence your way that way. You know, uh, but you know, if you're in that situation where you're being forced by the government to do one thing, it's the same idea with like, say, guns. Like, if the if the government comes to your door to take fuck take your guns, and you're like. I honestly think you're, I mean, unless you're someone who's like a single guy, you're fucking borderline suicidal. You don't give a shit anyways. And you're, and you're just looking for a fun time. Like, like if you're anyone with anything to lose, you should be like, I mean, maybe hide your guns or some shit. But if they're like, if they see your guns right there and they're like, give it to me, you should be like, okay, here you go. Like, cause otherwise you're going to get fucking, you're going to get fucking killed. (laughs) Yeah. And, And of what use are you to anyone? Like, I mean, yeah, some people say, oh, you could be a martyr, but it's like, most likely you're just going to be a statistic. <laughs> like, yeah. Chances well, of you being a martyr, martyr are pretty goddamn slim. So. Pretty benefit of being Catholic. Martyrdom is actually pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy. Um, what was that? Uh, uh, counter economics. Economic. 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 Yeah. God damn it. Why was that so hard? <laughs> I was late. Okay. Why it's true you cannot obey all the inconsistent laws of the state. Yeah, that's one point. Like, I, I, I like, I like to. All the laws are inconsistent, and it's kind of like if you. I'm not. You know, like the average American citizen breaks 16 laws a day, and there are laws that contradict each other. So it's kind of like you have to, like, weigh the risk and look at each law to kind of contradict itself. Like, oh, see, this is it's legal, but only in this time of day for some shit. Like, flo- in, in Brian Man Bato, you can't buy booze on Sunday, hmm. and so it's like it's it's just this random these it's, it's inconsistent bullshit. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, that was kind of the hazardous thing we were touching on earlier, where it's like yeah. the, the law can do whatever it wants to some extent. So, but go on. Um, laws of the state and so be completely... Um, I'm just all over. Well, I actually cannot be audiences the laws of the, st- uh, laws of the state and so be completely white market. You can live completely counter-economically and be completely black market. In the middle of the 1970s, the federal state passed a regulation imposing a maximum speed limit on U.S. highways of 55 miles an hour. With the threat of uh, cutting federal funds, the state and continuing the entire uh, con- uh, counties and entire driving population declared to a creeping crawl or did it. Uh, consider the following calculation. At 55 miles an hour, a trucker can drive 55 miles an hour. 
Um, 55 miles in an hour. And numbers fuck me up here, hon. 550 miles in 10 hours and 2,200 miles in 40 hours. And average... At an average of 70 miles per hour, he makes 700 miles in 10 hours and 2,800 miles in 40 hours. To make it even clearer, assume the trucker nets $1,000 after cost for each 600 mile run. He makes four runs legally for 4000 in an easy week or 5000 on extending his hours of working weekend at 70 miles an hour. He makes 5000 for the roughly 40 hour week. With the type of incentive, the, the race went to the Swift. Hold on. The race went to the Swift and the double nickel speed limit was. Scaflawed. I've never seen that word. I have never <laughs> seen that word. Yeah, scaflawed. Scaflawed. Is that a typo? No, I thought uh, I, I don't know. Oh no, I like it. I think I might start using it. <laughs> um, but being caught and falling would wipe out the advantage. Suppose fuel was consumed at the rate that cost up to two hundred dollars at the highest speed, but you received an average fine of two hundred dollars for business. Um, four busts a weekend is no longer worth it. Along came Citizens Band Radio, but two hundred dollars or four hundred dollars. Uh, Wanted to do a CB radio investment, reduce your bus to once a week if you're back in business in that course. It would happen. Truckers spotted for each other, formed convoys, and swore the state's smoky bear highwayman. Consider the side effect. I was like, smoky and the bears. Um, that's one bear. Uh, oh my god, I'm blanking on the name of the movie. It has a Trans Am in it. It's Burt Windows. It's um, Smoking the Bandit. That mm. is a solid ass movie. Like, it's. And- yeah, and to and bring up the speed, the, the mile per hour thing, this is actually riffing off something uh, Jeff Dice said once, uh, something along the way of like laws work of like what is the real law, or say you see the speed limit's 55, but no one really ever gets pulled over unless you're going like over 65. It's the yeah. same, it, it kind of applies to a little bit to agorism too, where it's like you can kind of push the push it a little bit. And everyone knows this who drives. Uh, I mean, let's be, I pretty much set my cruise control because I do a lot of, because uh, I commute to work. I do a lot of uh, highway driving and usually I'll set my cruise control for like 10 over. I almost, I like never get pulled over because mm-hmm. no one cares if you're going under 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, in mo- yeah. in, at least where I'm at. And it's the same idea. That's that's kind of a good example of what agorism is. You're pushing it to the limit. You don't have to drive 55. Like you don't if the speed limit yeah. is 55. Like you're you're like you if you're driving 58, the chance of you getting paid o- pulled over is fucking insane. And so and it's also so the concept is like is the speed limit really 55? And also like what are the chances of you really getting caught for going 55? Now and that's kind of a little bit you know it's an it's simplified version of what we we're getting at earlier. Worth if you're Ross Ulbricht. Yeah, you're way more likely to get fucked because in to put it to the speed limit example, that motherfucker was driving 200 miles an hour. <laughs> like, whereas yeah. I'm saying, you know, I don't know, push it to where you're comfortable with. I'm more of a drive 10 miles an hour over the speed limit kind of guy. If you're 15 hours over the speed limit kind of guy, all the more power to you. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a solid nine. I keep it like, I put my yeah. to exactly nine about the speed limit because that's, that's a state trooper. Mm-hmm. Cops, where I'm at, don't put you over for anything under 15. Yeah. Congrats. You're just... <laughs> um, most I go think about me is I, I booked the speed limit. Huh? Um, but this, I will say, anyone listening, uh, state troopers are all fucking assholes and um, they will put you over for anything because that's all they fucking do. Um, I actually got in a car accident one time because I fell asleep at the wheel and I went up the side of one hit a ditch. And I, it's kind of funny, I hit the ditch and caught air and landed in a guy's front yard. Um, and the guy rolled out. He was a cop, um, so he called the cop, cop, so he called his cop friends to kind of like come take care of it. He called the state, they were going to send state troopers. An hour later, still no state troopers. So he just called his friend who was a cop who did all the work. Forty-five minutes later, finally a state trooper pulls up, and the cop taking the paperwork 
on his heel, literally spins around, points this thing, was happy he could finally sew up, and then spins back to me and completely ignores it for the next 10 minutes. Like it was just a complete dick move to say troopers, which they deserve because all say troopers are terrible. All right, uh, let's consider the side effects. That's where we're at now. Truckers found solidarity economically, culturally, anti politically. A CB culture exploded in the popular culture with CW, CW McCall's classic song Convoy. Non truckers who were willing to buy a CB and learn the code, especially the language, were accepted freely into the ordered highway. Anarchy. More invasions. More invasion of regulars and followed, and the counter-economy grew. Truckers, many of many of conservative upbringing, be, became considerably more to- tolerant and willing to help other lawbreakers when the common enemy, Smokey, threatened. Which I really want to riff off that. That's kind of where we were getting at earlier with the whole COVID thing. Look at conservatives and how much more of a counter-economist they have become. And now it's more of just finding ways to... Um, and this is one thing Conkin goes into a lot and I don't remember, I mean, he's only written two books. I can't remember which one it is. He can, a lot of it goes into both. And it's kind of the same idea. So there are people who are counter-economists who don't know it. And there are also people like agorists who are counter-economists and know it. It's more about taking it and being like, trying to explain it. Because if you have both merged the theory and the application, that's great. But it's a matter of, say, say you're a drug dealer. Like you just like, say you're a guy in the hood and the best way to, to provide a living for yourself is to sell drugs. It's a matter of taking that person and then trying to sort of, you know, easily like, you know, explain to him like, oh, what you're doing, like you may see it as illegal and maybe in some senses kind of see it wrong, but you're not doing anything wrong. And and let let me tell you the theory behind that. Obviously, you know that you're not it's a matter of how you go about that. Like you don't want to be that guy like, let me tell you about theory, but you you kind of find ways to you make inroads with people. Uh, But yeah, go on. The CB explosion was not meant is not meant here to be a model in the sense of waiting around for the state to trigger a, off mass rebellion by an ego- egregiously. egregiously stupid law. Okay, after the fence sentence made sense. Uh, this happened to be particularly spectac- a particularly spectacular case, but no more than a sudden jump in counter-economics and prohibition was passed in the 1920s, or in the draft led to two-year slavery at Parliament in 1964, and this... Um, and the state does not learn from its mistake as recent efforts to reimpose the 55 mile an hour speed limit as well as we actually the draft rise again. And see so one add? Nope, we're good there. We kind of kind of touched on it already. We're in the last section now, counter economic economic economizing. It's like you're the saying. one word that you're good at doing, but I'm not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> counter counter economizing yourself. Whatever service you provide the market, you know best how to counter-economize. Which I want to, I want to stop right there. Um, that's one point I get at. People always go, you know, like, uh, oh, I don't know how to be an agorist. I, I don't. What What is your thing? Like, and it's really like, even if you don't have that many things, like, or not even an agorist, a counter-economist. Uh, what is your thing? Uh, well, find your ways. And and like like I said earlier, it's not a zero or one. You don't have to be entirely in the black market. Find your ways to push. It could be as simple as being a CEO of a major corporation and what tax loopholes can I jump through? It can be as simple as that. And you can do that with lawyers, whatever, or, or what risk am I willing to accept to make extra profit? And it could be as small as being a drug dealer and saying, you know, if I hang out on this street, I'm less likely to get busted by cops or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but go on. So you know best how to do your individual yeah. thing. This is why this is so great. It's so decentralized. It's so tailored to the individual, which to touch on something, uh, 
you know, uh, what, what, uh, fucking, uh, what's his face is getting at earlier. Uh, uh, Daniel said something about like everything fails. And I was, cause we were talking about the talking about the fucking LP. And he was like, so he, and he, his point was, and I joked and I was like, yeah, that's my point, you know, talking about the LP. And he, he was then said, you know, but my point was everything fails. He was obviously implying like agorism. No, I disagree. Cause it's in so goddamn decentralized and so tailored to the individual down the individual mm-hmm. level that it will always outpace the state. Yeah. So yeah. And like, but, Yagoism, it's not like it's an organization that can fall. Yes. It's, it's, it's a practice of individuals, so it's not like it's yeah. the same principle at all. It's, yeah, and po- Polio Paradis said uh, entrepreneurship. That really, you, That is like probably the best way to sum up agorism is entrepreneurship yeah. disregarding, I mean, not disregarding, but, you know, working, weaving in and out of the law. So, yeah. you know, so, and uh, that's, you know, far be it to find any libertarian to say entrepreneurship will fail as a whole, you know, <laughs> like, because yeah. it's so goddamn decentralized. Yes, people will fail as entrepreneurs. People will fail as counter economists. There will be people who get busted. But, you know, mm. it's it's a matter of, you know, being a smart, you know, uh, agorist or counter economist. So yeah, everyone, it does fail. It becomes like, it becomes a case of what not to do. So it, yes. it gets better, you know? So it, it's, yeah. yeah. You know, best, um, you know, best what's regulations to avoid first for maximum payoff to risk ratio. You know, what suppliers can we trust and what's cannot, you know, what's customers to trust and what's not to trust. Division of labor, subjective value and, Human individuality all contribute to making your case, and everyone else is unique. Like we were just saying, mm-hmm. um, if you if you seek or want to want advice on how best to counter economize, you need personal counseling, similar to investment counseling, but considering the hundreds of millions of people, mainly with educational and cultural handicaps, who counter economize successfully, the challenge is not that great. You need mostly the word to do it, and the psychological. And that psychological counter-economics would be important as part of Chapter 8. It's undoubtedly easier to extend your counter-economizing when someone else is doing it. Most people Every, Everyone are. else is doing it. But go everyone on. Else, yeah, my bad. Everyone else is doing it. Most people are. Um, but all but all. But in still and but in still and different ways. Small and different ways. But go on. Small and different ways. Jesus Christ, what can I read? <laughs> um, still, if you could win more suppliers and customers over to your trust and get them to counter-economize, they would not only resist turning you in, but they would develop a tendency not to leak secrets and would therefore decrease your risk and increase your payoff both ways. This fact is driving forces, is the driving force towards expansion of the counter-economy. This force is where agorism unleashes against the state. Ooh, this next one we're going to like. We're not going to do it now because we're already uh, about an hour and a half in. But chapter five, libertarianism. And this is where I think he starts to get into uh, – because he kind of alluded to it earlier, kind of like why we haven't entirely outpaced it. Because I do think Konkin kind of makes an argument of – I don't know if you'd necessarily say that it uh, libertarianism, like big L libertarianism is necessarily mm-hmm. pulling us back. Or, I mean, I guess he's saying it, it's not necessarily that we're moving backwards. It's like, I mean, he might make the case you're moving backwards, but at best you're running in place. So, and it's, uh, that's kind of what he's getting into. And uh, yeah, we'll get into that in the next one, whenever we get around to doing that. Uh, this one was fun. I definitely enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. um, we're definitely hitting our stride here. I think that was a fun episode. Uh, with that, I guess you want to drop your plugs. Uh, let them know about your show. What's going on with you? Anything you got going on here soon? Um, well, Tatiana was a uh, face liberty and praxis. 
I'm doing. I'm getting back into the book club. I have 16 different books that I am working on. I just did a uh, fantastic Lou Rockwell respect stream, so everyone go check that out. I'm only 100 views short of beating the Fakeitarians view. They've had a year. I've had six days, so that's kind of cool. Um, nothing really big except well, two things. One, well, three things. Friday, I'm having it on Ace to talk about prison abolition. I don't know anything about it. That's gonna be fun. Uh, then I have on. Uh, two-bit podcast Jason to do a mini-series on Suicide and West by Burnham. There's a lot in that book, and so that's going to be really fun. You going over suicide methods? Absolutely. I'll, I prefer to explain <laughs> the West in the left hand. Um, <laughs> and then finally, I booked today Thomas DiLorenzo for February 12th to do uh, Mises' book, Socialism. It's my first book by Mises, and the first uh, it, was, and it was my favorite Mises scholar, Thomas uh, DiLorenzo. So definitely subscribe and check that one out because that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. All right, and with that, I am uh, Jose Galison. This is a No Way Jose YouTube uh, or Mo No Way Jose show. I'm on YouTube. I'm on all the major audio podcasters. Odyssey. You can follow me at 2020 No Way Jose. I'm also on Getter now. If you want to try that out, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I'm kind of just dabbling there. Basically, all I'm doing right now is every now and then when I have a good tweet, I'll post it on there as well. I mean, I'm I'm dropping. Uh, oh, Travis said, "Let's go." You got dealer. Did you say you got De Lorenzo? Yeah. Oh fuck yeah, dude! Congrats. Yeah, I, I, I missed that part. I zoned out uh hell yeah dude um but yeah so if you want to follow me I, I have the same handle on twitter and getter so if you want to uh but so yeah fucking you know follow me on both if you're on both or one or the other uh, like i said uh, right now i'm just using to, for i'm dropping my promote promos for episodes and i'm also dropping i mean but then again i, I do check it so if you don't want to engage with me on there I'll, I'll engage with you although i don't really engage much on either really honestly i'll throw you a like and a retweet if you have a good good reply uh but uh I'm, everyone knows i'm a retweet horse so if you like retweets you know whatever uh but yeah if you want to give me money patreon.com just no way jose 2020 like share subscribe comment all that good stuff i appreciate all you guys in the chat you guys definitely helped out uh you know um, love you travis love you daniel even though i ragged you a little bit uh please don't please don't pull out the last couple dollars you have in the patreon i'm sorry i ragged on you you'll still never go on tower power hour though i'm just, just letting you know uh, uh well, but, quick, i forgot i wanted to add something um for no, the book club on <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, on my book club and my Twitter bio, okay, LeBron five four nine is my Venmo. So if there's a specific book you want me to cover, instead of a Patreon system, you can just Venmo me money for the book itself, and I'll cover the book. Yeah. And so, and like I said earlier, I think I alluded to it. My ten dollar level on Patreon is it allows you to curate an episode. So if you want to be on my show, and you say you know instead of instead of bet instead of asking to go on other people's show like Daniel does for Tower Gang. You can go give me $10. You can even do it for one month. Give me 10 bucks and then tell me what you want to do to come on. And I will fucking, you know, as long as you, I mean, within reason, if you have an awful episode idea and I cannot at all work with that, you know, I'll be like, I, I can't do that. But you know, you know, if you want to come on the show, you want to do that. I mean, whatever, you know, just throw me 10 bucks and you know, I like it too. I mean, I hope a lot of people might like, that's like shameless grifting. Yes, it is for one, but also two. Uh, it also, uh, it, it gets hard coming up with ideas. So it is nice when people come with me to ideas, offer me ideas. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, but yeah. Um, and plus I like money. So fuck. Yeah. I mean, fuck any of you people with grifting. I guess God damn. Yes. I grift. I want fucking money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define grift. I think I do a decent job. Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, we're out. Appreciate you coming on Caleb. This is fun. We'll keep doing this series. 
Uh, Top was supposed to make me a little graphic for this. We'll see that. And I'm looking forward to where this goes. We still have a good chunk of this book left. I think maybe we're like half-ish way done. So this is fun. I think we're yeah. getting finally into like the philosophy side where it's no longer yeah. just like the economic side. So that's yeah. going to be exciting. Yeah. I haven't asked any of these people, but I think I think my future projections, I, I think I might try to get Sal for to do this, the reading for New Libertarian Manifesto after this. Mm. And then uh, I, I think I want to... Ideally, I'd like to get Aaron for agorist class theory. I'll probably ask him, see, because that'd, that'd be pretty dope. That'd be a good Cause, one. Because agorist class theory is pretty based. Although I don't think he ever actually really calls for like the heads of politicians. But anyone knows what agorist class theory is. It's legit just like it's a class theory. And the class theory is politicians are one class and anyone vaguely related to politicians. And the other class is everyone else. And that's the, in my opinion, that's the cleanest, nicest class theory there is, yeah. <laughs> which I know a lot of people, you know, maybe you being a paleo that might, you may not agree with that as well, but I can't think of a cleaner class theory than that. <laughs> so, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. Uh, I, I really can't. So with that, we're out uh, and appreciate it, bud. All right. Boop. No problem. Uh, and we're,